Mothering Sunday is a daring period drama and a portrait of the artist as a young woman, one who pushes the boundaries of her creativity, sexuality and class. Here's producer Liz Carlson on the film's radical heroine. It's such a rebellious act. It's really like a two fingers up act. Everything, she should not be doing any of those things. She shouldn't be in that house, let alone having sex with the son of the people who own it and then walking naked through the house, being there on her own after she's had sex. I mean, it's just so radical. We'll also hear from director Eva Usson and composer Morgan Kibbe in conversation with Liz and myself, recorded from our live webinar event last week. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello and welcome to Girls on Film. I'm your host, Anna Smith, and today's episode is in partnership with Lionsgate. We're celebrating the awards-tipped period drama Mothering Sunday, which you can watch at home now. A powerful female-focused character study and exploration of grief between the wars, Mothering Sunday is a cut above the average costume fare. Jane, you have no family. You have absolutely nothing to lose. That is a gift, and you must learn to use it. When did you become a writer, Miss Jane Fairchild? Three times over. The day I was born. The day Mr. Paxton gave me my typewriter. And the third? It's a secret. Starring Odessa Young, it follows orphaned maid Jane Fairchild through its titular day in 1924 a day off-duty when she can visit her secret upper-class lover, played by Josh O'Connor. Not met like this before. (sighs) Who was that, Jane? Wrong number, sir. On a Sunday. What happens? He's always late. Be forever yet. Stand there. He's studying, is he? What are you doing? Studying. Good for him. Wish I could take you out. Champagne and oysters. I've got to get married, become a lawyer. That's what's expected of you, yes. I spoke to the film's director, Eva Usson, producer Elizabeth Carlson, and composer Morgan Kibbe in a special live webinar Q&A last week. Today, you'll hear the full, fascinating discussion in podcast form, featuring questions from our listeners. Hello and welcome to this very special Q&A for Mothering Sunday, hosted by Girls on Film in partnership with Lionsgate. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the first time we've done a Girls on Film recording with a live 
online audience, so it's lovely to have you with us. I'm Anna Smith and I've been a big fan of Mothering Sunday since I saw it in Cannes. It really is a feminist period drama, as we'll be discussing, so I'm very pleased to welcome the director, Ava Husson, producer Elizabeth Carlson, and composer Morgan Kibbe. Hello to you all. Hey, Hello. welcome. Hello. Well, we're going to have a chat, the four of us, for a bit, but to the audience, please put your questions in the Q&A box and I will ask the panel your questions a bit later. Um, so first of all, could you introduce yourselves and say a little something about your work? Well, I am director Eva Husson. I guess I have a French passport, but I tend to be a citizen of the world. I studied in the American Film Institute in the States, and I met Liz in Toronto at the Toronto Film Festival after a masterclass that I gave over there. And we kind of really got along, and she had seen my film and loved it. And we decided we want to make a movie together, and that's how the adventure started for the two of us. Quite an adventure we'll be discussing more of. Um, Elizabeth, you've done some amazing films over many years. Uh, tell our listeners a bit more about your work. Yeah, well, obviously, I think Mothering Sunday is one of those top of my, on my list of great films I've made and working with Ava was such a treat. But I, yeah, I started in New York in independent film production right at the bottom of the ladder and was lucky enough to work there on short films with some people who've gone on to be amazing independent filmmakers and then I started working at Palace Productions with Nick Powell and Stephen Woolley in 1987, 88. And that was like the best postgraduate school in film production and distribution. And at that time, I mean, a lot of books are being written about it now because it's all coming back round. But, you know, they were distributing films like... Evil Dead, When Harry Met Sally, and Diva, and making films like Mona Lisa, and it was an amazing place to work. So that's where I started producing, with the first film I own was Neon Bible, Terence Davis and Jenna Rollins, and then just went on from there. I set up Number 9, and Stephen joined me, and we've been working together at Number 9, pretty solely on independent features. Definitely where our hearts sit is to filmmakers who really have a very distinguished and distinct voice that we like to nurture and collaborate with them on. And Morgan, it's lovely to have a composer on the podcast. Uh, tell us a bit more about yourself. Um, well, I started off in childhood as a classical musician, and I worked a lot in the theatre as an actress, unfortunately for me. And then kind of graduated to making music full time, performing mostly in a French electronic band called M83 um, and toured for about eight years with that band during two record cycles and then transitioned into composition for film and television, uh, starting with my collaboration with Eva, who I met in a hallway when I was 17 years old. <laughs> what hallway did you meet in? I'm intrigued. At the AFI, actually. At the American um, Film Institute, yeah. Yeah, and it was a soulmate connection, eyes meeting across a dimly lit, horrible hallway. <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> and we've kind of been working together ever since, um, but uh, scoring Bang Gang for Eva was my first foray into composition, and I went to the Sundance Lab directly after. Uh, which was a very shaping and formative experience and kind of confirmed to me that that's what I wanted to do with the rest of my career. So I've been doing that ever since. Well, amazing work and collaborations, all of you. I'm aware that some people watching this will have seen Mother and Sunday and some will not. So Ava, if I can come back to you and ask you to explain a bit about the book this is based on and why you were keen to direct a film version of it. You know, I was sent the book and kind of opened me up, it opened some sort of frequency. You know, it was about a love story and writing and the power of creativity and intimacy and sex. And 
as I said to Liz, I was like, well, this is kind of for me. <laughs> I feel connected to all of these things and I know this. I just know the material really well. And then I got the job and then I panicked. I was like, shit. <laughs> and, you know, just tried to be as good as the book because I thought the book was splendid and I thought the, the script was splendid, you know, both made me cry. And you, Jane, what will you do? I want to write about life. Pain and anguish. Pleasure. With Liz and Emily, the editor, and Morgan, we spent quite a few moments, you know, like laying on the ground, just staring at the ceiling, being like, it's going to be fine. Come summon the memory, can't you, Jane? For me. For you. But you know, that's the great joy, I'd say, to work with people who you really connect with on a human level because it's an adventure and everybody's got everybody's back. Uh, it sounds a little bit trite when I say it out loud like this, but I think it's really true in this case, in the those encounters that we've had together. Well, it's reassuring to know that someone so incredibly talented also has a panic. It's that imposter syndrome that, that people get because this film is so assured. It's astonishing, absolutely beautiful to look at. Yeah. Elizabeth, talk to me a little bit more about that collaboration between everybody because it really is an incredible team that you have assembled. Yeah, I think that on some films, it doesn't always happen on every film, but definitely this was one of them is, you know, as a producer, I mean, Stephen and I tend to develop material in-house from the ground up. And this was a galley copy of Graham Swift's novel that was brought to us by Film 4. And there were quite a few people vying for it. And we had to present our vision to the writer. And, you know, as a producer, you bring together the creative team and you hope that that constellation will be one that really shines and that is evident in the work. And you just try and do your best also just to match personalities. And the first step was bringing a writer on. And there were literally about two people we wanted and Alice Birch was top of the list. And this was pre-normal people. That's why you're a writer. Because you were put in service at 14 because you were made an occupational observer of life. Hmm. And she responded so strongly to the novel. And I think that because it takes place over a long time span, Alice wasn't frightened at all, as you've seen in previous work, well, you then saw normal people, what I call temporal fluidity. She really didn't mind that at all. And you were able to really still hold on to the story of a young woman emerging as an artist and track that through some really seismic historic and cultural shifts in Britain before and after the First World War and after the Second World War. And I think that she did that brilliantly. I don't like your room. Okay. Smells of damp. The whole house does. I can come to your room. Oh, Mrs. O'Flynn doesn't like you. Well, no. Women like Mrs. O'Flynn don't like men like me. We could go somewhere else. A new house. With a room for you to do your writing. One for me to philosophise in. And Stephen and I were really concerned about finding a director who wouldn't shy away from the sensuality of the piece because the character of Jane, I mean, sexuality and sensuality are a heart of her being. 
and that's very present in the novel. And when I'd already seen Ava's film Gang Gang, and when I saw Girls of the Sun, I just there's a boldness to her filmmaking. There's an emotional and a political, the small p boldness, you know, with women at their centre that I just thought she will do something really special with this material. I, I mean, that would make me very happy indeed. What, what do you think? You know, Alice said yes, and Ava said yes. Right there. And then we experience the same process with casting and with the heads of department. And then you think, okay, this is a director whose instincts are right. And I need to make sure that I support those instincts and also just guide. Because, you know, forever it's it's very, you know, a lot of signifiers about the class system and Britain. And, and sometimes it was quite interesting. We'd have conversations about really small things like a hairstyle and just kind of explaining what the signifiers were within British culture. And so I think we worked very well together where I kind of helped her realise what was in her head. Um, let's come to Morgan next and talk a little bit more about this amazing score, which just works perfectly, I think. I mean, obviously you've worked with Ava a lot before. How did this project differ and what kind of discussions did you have about the sound for this? Well, it's interesting because it's kind of a... A double-edged sword. I feel like the lengthy years of uh, collaboration that we've had have uh, given us a cinematic and musical language that allows for a shorthand and an ease in the discovery process and then in the execution. It's very collaborative. Um, Ava has amazing taste in music and so it's uh, really wonderful to collaborate with her on finding a vision depending on what we're working on. We've done three films together now and it started off really just zeitgeist and easy and then progressively got harder and harder with each film and you know this was a tall order you know you have a film that's spanning three different eras and when we first began that there was a mandate to keep our minds open to just let the score kind of discover itself so we weren't trying to necessarily recreate create a touchstone to period pieces of the past. Um, we wanted to stay fresh and try to infuse the score with a bit of modernity. So it was very challenging because it needed to anchor, I think, the film in its sensuality, which was, you know, with the warmth. I think that's a word we used very frequently when we were discussing the palette of the score. And, you know, the editing process took time. And I think finding the film took time, especially with the music. But once we landed on a cue that felt like it gave us goosebumps, we were off to the races and that was really exciting. But it was, but this was very challenging for us. Worth it, but very challenging. Definitely worth it. Goosebumps, that's a good barometer. I definitely got quite a few of those. I think I'd like to bounce off what Morgan said because I think the music is a character in the film. And I think that was crucial to me. And uh, I just want to add, Eva, that like, you know, Eva's actually not the norm. A lot of directors, I think, don't get involved in the music the way that she does. There are a lot of directors who don't really, you know, they want their music to be underscore, and Ava is not one of them, which is why it's so fun to work on films with her. Morgan and I, it was it was a beautiful thing because, you know, Liz was pushing us as much as she could, and Morgan and I were just tumbling and, like, holding on to each other and just, like, trying to just, like, push forward, push forward. Thank God she um, did. I mean, because it made the score what it is honestly. yeah completely and 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 by the end i think the three of us were very moved when we listened to the final score and the final recording and the final mix we had worked so hard on it and i'm extremely proud of it i didn't want the music to lead the emotion but i wanted it to be part of it because that's one of the most cinematic tools to express jane's creativity and relationship to creativity 
Ava and Elizabeth, I'd like to talk to you about the incredible cast here. Who would you like to speak about first? Because I think just extraordinary central cast for this film. Oh. Just behind the door, he was waiting. Well, you know, I think the movie rests on Odessa's shoulders in the sense that without her, you don't have the movie, you know. Not met like this before. She makes it look flawless and so easy. No, madam. There's nothing easy about walking around in a house naked and making it look effortless. She doesn't look like a sexual object. She looks like a woman in power who's sort of like showing up and presenting herself to the world. And that's exactly the image I had when I read the novel. Good morning, Beechwood House. Jay, that you? Yes, madam. I shall be leaving here for this picnic. I'll be on my own. 11 o'clock, not the back past Jay front door. She has this incredible and elegant mix of strength and character and vulnerability, which is, for me, is extremely touching and incredible actors. You know, I just remember when we were making the list with Liz, I was like, and Colin Firth, and Olivia Colman, and all of them, and it's going to look great. And we're like, yeah, we'll see if we get them. And then, yes, yes, yes. And it was just like this full-on joy, you know? We couldn't ask for a better cast, you know? We just got incredibly lucky. It is the top-notch cast, isn't it? It's absolutely perfect, and they all put in really moving performances. I wanted to ask all of you a bit about the feminist aspects of this. Um, you mentioned, obviously, it's about a female writer. Elizabeth, what appealed to you about this story from a feminist point of view? Well, obviously, there's a woman at its centre who is highly intelligent and focused and is able to realise her ambitions and also is, you know, in control of sexuality and sex and sensuality, all of those things. You know, she just felt like a, a woman that I was really, really interested in. And also what fascinated me is I'm really interested in unintended consequences. And both in the First and Second World War, we know from the Second World War, things like Rosie the Riveter, and is that structures were broken down, specifically around, you know, class and women. I mean, much later, structures being broken down around race. But women were free suddenly to go and find employment elsewhere because the men were gone and domestic servitude was starting to come to an end. So the unintended consequence was a kind of social mobility for certain people. And I love that. And I also love the way, you know, the character in Mr. Niven recognises the potential in Jane and the fact that he's lost all his sons and the books in this library are not being read and not being consumed of the beauty of their prose and their storytelling. Now then, now that we're all well-fed and well-watered, I continue to water, by the water... <laughs> Oh, God, for goodness sake. I would like to propose a toast. Well met, our tribes. Well met and well loved. Clary and I, my, my wife and I, are so happy to be here with you all. Here. And with your children, who have been so good as to feel like our children. Godfrey. Even if one of them's not bloody... They're all not fucking here! They're all fucking gone!
I just think the connections between these people in this moment of horrendous, horrendous grief, but at the center, you've got this woman who just, as the film says, she was thrown naked on life's doorstep. And the scene where she walks naked through the house reminded me of the Slits, you know, the Slits album when they were that cover of that album. I don't know if you remember it. I mean, it was so iconic and so daring at the time. Yes, the album cut with that iconic shot of the band naked and covered in mud on the sleeve. Yeah, it's such a rebellious act. It's really like a two fingers up act. Everything. She should not be doing any of those things. She shouldn't be in that house, let alone having sex with the son of the people who own it, and then walking naked through the house, being there on her own after she's had sex. I mean, it's just so radical. And that's what I think, you know, about Morgan and and Ava's work is it's really radical work. And I was just really drawn to that story and drawn to the, the idea of making it not feel like it's preserved in aspic. And I think, again, that's what Ava brings to it and the people she chose around her to make something that just shimmers and feels contemporary and those are the things that I loved about it. Morgan, I'm interested to talk to you from a feminist perspective about the score. Just in general terms, but specifically on this film, could you explain how the score can kind of support a feminist narrative, whether it's perhaps avoiding cliches that you often hear around gender in scores or support the male gaze? Um, presume you think about this kind of things? It's really interesting how a score is digested by a public when they know if it's been written by a man or a woman. It's very interesting to me how a melody that I can write can appear perhaps perhaps a bit frilly or overly maudlin or romantic, but if it's written by a man, strangely enough, gets digested in a very different way. So I'm very conscious of that. Bravery for being emotional. Let's let's put the right word. Um, And, you know, as Ava is part of a small group of female directors in the world, I'm a part of an even smaller group of female composers. So it's a very weird thing to be aware of when you're approaching a project, especially that's centered around this incredible female character. I was terrified, you know, because one of the first conversations I had with Ava was, I want to do justice to this beautiful script and your beautiful filmmaking. And I'm hyper, hyper aware and have to be hyper vigilant that a melody that we might find beautiful could be misinterpreted. So how do we infuse the score with the amount of intimacy and sensuality and uh, almost uh, inquisitive nature, a lot of kind of like the pauses and the stops and starts. And um, how do we infuse the score with these things in a way that doesn't have it hit you over the head with for lack of a better term, it's femininity. And by the way, this is a mandate anytime I'm dealing with an orchestral score that seems to be a question at the core of the beginning process for me. Um, it's frustrating, but it also kind of leads, I like to think, to a great place where I'm actually questioning things perhaps um, a little bit deeper than I might have if I didn't have to ask that question. I feel like we could do a whole other episode on that. That's fascinating territory. Thank you. That actually covers one of the questions that someone asked, which is how you use music to capture the intimate moments involved in the film. So I think we've sort of covered some of that. But I've got a question here, I think, for either Ava or Elizabeth from one of our attendees. How was filming during lockdown? Yeah, I mean, you know, when lockdown happened, I just, I think the sort of, you try to cling on to something when there's uncertainty that's suddenly thrown at everyone you try and grasp onto something that feels stable and we had this fantastic script by Alice Birch and it felt like a script that lent itself to the possibility of filming between lockdowns 
because it's fairly contained. We didn't have huge crowd scenes. We didn't have to travel to faraway locations. There were some key elements about the production that felt that they would dovetail into a kind of lockdown or post-lockdown scenario. And I just had this thing in my head, which was there will be a point where we'll come out of lockdown and there'll be a window and then we'll go back in. I just thought that's what's going to happen. And I think certain agents, like Josh's agent and Abe always tease me like, well, I don't know, this says it's going to happen. And Stephen and I just managed to cast it and then, you know, raise the finance around the kitchen table. There was virtual can. The sales agent said it was happening. We were like, what on earth is virtual can? We sold the film worldwide. So, we're like, oh, OK. And then really it was waiting till we got the production restart scheme because the big thing was insurance. So when that came through, I thought, OK, we're away. We just need to focus. I mean, it was weird. There was no one out there. It was like, you know, England was a ghost town. So in some ways we were lucky because we had a run of, you know, crew and equipment and locations. It was weird because we filmed when there were no vaccines Everyone was wearing masks all the day. I think that was super challenging for Ava. When I first realized we could do it is before lockdown ended, but when you were allowed to go to a place of work, I emailed the heads of department that we had on at the time. Ava was in France. And I said, we want to have a, you know, lockdown safe recce. Does anyone want to come? And we had a house where we didn't end up filming, but it was a huge house. It was amazing that we were going to go to, was that outside of Slough? And I thought everyone was going to, no way. But they all came back and they said, yeah, we'll come. And Ava joined by FaceTime, didn't you? And when everyone said, we'll come, and some people had three layers of latex gloves and some people had visors. And at first, Ava was super frustrated. And she was like, this is ridiculous. I can't do this. And and then I realized it's because she was on FaceTime with me. Like, why does she want to talk to me? She wants to talk to the cinematographer and the first AD. But that was really the moment where I thought, okay, we can make this happen. And, um, you know, it was very tiring. It was exhausting, but we did it. We got through and we had a spectacular crew and Ava really helmed that ship and pulled everyone with her through to the end. And, and you know, to add to what Liz was saying, um I don't want to pretend it was easy. It was miserable. The first reason being, for me, it's a, it's a profession where you relate to people on a human level. It's facial expressions. That's why the mask was hard. Not because it's hard to wear a mask for eight hours or 12 hours. It's just hard because you cannot communicate properly. I had been months and months with the crew and we're like so tight and suddenly I could not see people's faces. The first meetings were on Zoom. It was some of them I had never worked with. Mm. And to build the trust that you need to build, I just felt like I was rowing in the sea sometimes. <laughs> and thank God there was Liz and there was Morgan and we made it happen. But I just really want to be out of this pandemic and yeah. I don't want people to normalize some things because it is unfortunate and it makes everybody's lives harder like you know the days are longer like you need to put in more work to get to the same result basically. I also actually think that the editing was really tough it was so hard for Ava and Emily because they were in lockdown in Paris with a 6 p.m curfew and Ava I don't, hope you don't mind me saying this as a single parent so I was just like, this is too much for them. They're getting up, they're going to a cutting room, working in this weird space on their own. It was going home at six, child duties. 
they're not sharing. Normally we would go into a cutting room and go, hey, can we show you the sequence? And then we would have like a screening for 20 people and then the next week for 40 people and the next week and the thing grows. It's like baking bread or something, you know, it grows and you shape it and you mold it or clay or sculpture, whatever. And um, that was so tough for everyone. But when in March I said, right, come to London and I said, bring your son, we'll put him in school here. And you were at first were nervous, but actually it was great because we had the most fabulous time in the cutting room. I mean, Morgan was by Zoom because she's in L.A. and that was impossible. And we missed her. Never again, Liz. Never again. (laughs) It just for me and I think for them, a collaborative process, being together hanging out, having our falafel wrap and just going, like, thinking about the morning, ideas popping up. It's just not the same on Zoom. It just isn't. It it is art. And, you know, you need to see people. You need to be in the same room. Um, And you cannot do everything via Zoom. I'm so impressed that you've made such an intimate and powerful film in such difficult circumstances. Congrats again. Now, we've had um, a question for Morgan, someone who is a huge fan of the score. Um, what scene did you spend the most time on? Oh, God. I think um, Bereaved at Birth almost crushed me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, that's an amazing scene for those who've seen it. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, it was... Wow, that was a very challenging, very challenging sequence. Um, I mean, we got this score done, I would just like to say, from start to finish in a month, which is insane. Wow, and that's amazing. to speak to the previous question... It was so disappointing to not be able to be there for the recording session. It was heartbreaking, really. I had to do it all remotely. And, you know, as a composer, I kind of at the beginning of the pandemic was like, well, now everybody gets to see what it's like to be in a room by yourself all the time, (laughs) which is essentially my job. You know, it's 18 to 20 hours a day in big deadlines. Just me sitting right here going, "Okay, how do I do this? Um, So... It was very disappointing to not be able to share that experience live in the room with the musicians, which is the whole point of what I do. That's the culmination for me. Um, and to be there with Ava and Liz, I, I wish I had been able to do that. But Bereaved at Birth was a cue that just started about two weeks into the process and it was just not working at all. <laughs> and I had to take a step back and I actually asked a friend of mine, a colleague, I was like, I can't crack this. Can you help me understand why? But it wasn't even about the music itself. We started to focus in on the frequencies. When do the high violins come in? So we just put aside the mood because the mood was there. That wasn't the issue. Or I should say the tone and the emotion was, it was achieving somewhat of the arc it needed to. But it wasn't hitting in the moments that it needed to in the same way. Um, And that was a big light bulb moment. And from then out, it was it was like a joy to work on because we had kind of cracked the code. Do you sort of resonate with uh, one of the previous questions about the notion of intimacy? Um, There was something that it took us quite a while to get there and shape it the way we wanted. And it was this idea of going through waves and resonance we wanted the score to just like fill you up and just like you know get out of you and come back and and it was this idea of love and grief and time physical isn't it as well Mm -hmm. i mean we started with this idea of the uh, ritournelle this idea that comes back over and over and over again but it kind of morphed to become this very visual physical experience of music which does 
wash over you like a light or like water and the music needed to feel that way so there was a lot of time spent on this discovery of like technically speaking what string techniques are we using to achieve that yeah. lots of really beautiful kind of like bowings and very like almost sick or ill feeling like you know ramp ups into chords and notes and I listened yeah. to this radio program recently Morgan that was called Healing Hurts H E R T Z yeah. yeah 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 and it was by a woman who really suffered during lockdown and she came across precisely what you were talking about frequency mm-hmm. how hurts completely whatever like hurts the sound is at yep it totally um, shifts the emotional experience it's crazy shifts the experience yeah i see someone's asked a question about the niven storyline tragic heartbreaking and actually i think that morgan talking about that cue you were comprehensively bereaved at birth which is such a seminal moment in the film between mrs niven and jane because you there's a difference in grief mrs niven's grief she can't get out from under it but somehow jane's bereavement is different like she's got a tabula rasa she can start from and I think that that thing about healing and hurts and score and music and it works there and the other I think the scene that Ava and Morgan did so brilliantly and the performance is stunning with Colin and Odessa when she comes home early and says Mr Niven and he says there's been a terrible accident and they go to the house and the maid Ethel comes out and says and then that drive back when it like Jane's head is lolling and you're looking at the trees that's that the cue score. that was the cue that, that we hit on that I was like okay I found it that was the first yeah. one because everything prior to that I was like oh god what am I doing <laughs> I couldn't we and couldn't find it but that was the clincher for me was that particular cue yeah. Yeah. So I think it's the direction of those performances and how the camera works. It's all those things together to communicate grief. You know, you've got the script, but then there's what Ava and the actors come up with and then what the cameras, the choices of the costumes, and then finally the score. It's all of these things, like I was saying, that creative constellation shining is that everyone has to come together and have this frequency <laughs> that, you know, affects the viewer. As always, talking to you has made me want to watch it for a fourth or a fifth time. I don't know how many times it's been now, but there's just so much to soak up in this amazing film. We've also had a question we don't have time for, but it's about intimacy coordinators. So whoever you are, I would refer you to our last episode in which we spoke to Ava and Odessa, and that question was answered. So it's a nice segue there. Um, thank you all so much for joining thank me for today. It's been such a pleasure so to talk to three such talented women who clearly make my together so thank you again for joining me thank you well, and we you. feel the same way about you we love the podcast so thank you thank bless you. you thank you all thank for you being so girls much. on film and thanks to our lovely audience see you soon thanks everyone. thank you bye that was mothering sunday director eva usson producer elizabeth carlson and composer morgan kibbe Mothering Sunday is available to download and on DVD and Blu-ray now. And you can hear more from Ava and star Odessa Young in Girls on Film episode 97. Girls on Film is an HLA production brought to you by executive producer Heather Archbold, producer Heather Dempsey, audio producer Benjamin Cook, assistant producer Shania Pithia, and our partners for this episode, Lionsgate. I'm Anna Smith, and I was joined by Eva Usson, Elizabeth Carlson, and Morgan Kibbe. Thanks for listening. I 
I'm terribly sorry, madam, but you have the wrong number. 